apps are corporate and investment banking. Lead the conversation on future investment possibilities and sustainable growth opportunities in consumer goods and services. The biggest change we need is more jobs. We need more jobs. So how do we as corporates, as banks, as people in the streets support industries to drive local by buying local and paying with something not cash? The only way is to change the consumer's behavior. And how do you do that? I only think one way, and that's by incentivizing them. Yeah. Somehow you have to put money back in their pockets, and then their behavior will change. Matching foresight with sustainable possibilities to unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights, hosted by Bruce Whitfield. Brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. Welcome to this APSA Insights podcast. I'm Bruce Whitfield, and this time it's all about consumer trends and the way in which the world has changed. You know from your experience that you don't go to the shops as often as you used to. When you go to the shops, you probably buy a lot more than you used to, and your basket sizes have increased. You've tried to limit the risk of coming in contact with somebody who might have COVID-19. And you know what? You're not alone. Lots of people have seen this huge change. It's changed by patterns, it's changed spending patterns, and for the retailers themselves, it's had a fundamental shift in the way they need to think about their businesses in the future. In fact, COVID-19 could be the very necessary dislocation that South African retail required in order to get more people going online like they have in the rest of the world. Isana Cordia takes care of the retail segment within APSA Corporate and Investment Bank. Talk to me, Isana Cordia, all about the lipstick effect, because this is like this one of these lovely populist economic terms that when crisis hits, we spend money on lipstick. Personally, I've spent no more money on lipstick than I did previously. But I'm just curious about the lipstick effect. Yeah, Bruce, that's an effect that in the past happened when there was crisis. And they found that people, instead of going out and buying expensive luxury items, scaled down but still buy smaller luxury items like your lipsticks. Obviously, because we were stuck at home, that didn't seem to happen in this pandemic. And people didn't buy lipstick. And also, I mean... This time around, we're all wearing masks. So, <laughs> you know, you buy some lip ice yeah. to keep your lips nice and moist, but you're not necessarily put expensive lipstick on. Maybe that was one particular factor. But there has been a fundamental shift in spending. Where have we taken our retail therapy? Well, most people are to date still spending a lot more in their home environments. And I think, you know, where people spend a lot of time going out and vacations, now a lot of that time is spent at home. So we continue continuously seeing people buying more, home improvement, buildings picking up. And that's become, I think, their luxury spend. You know, they want to have an environment that's nice and nice to work in and nice to be in. So, yeah, a lot of spending still to date in the home environment space. You see that coming out in trading updates from the likes of Spa with Build It mm. and with Cash Build. Mm. And everybody's got a bit of a building business. So, I mean, all of those guys have done incredibly, incredibly well. Has that translated into furniture retail, for example? Because once you've got a big new yeah. room that you spend money on tiles and wall finishes and, and 
mm. nice you know, cornices <laughs> and things like that, yeah. um, you need to fill it up with stuff. Yeah. So has that then translated into the furniture or uh, the outfitter sort of space? In our data, our card acquiring data, I can actually drill down into subcategories of home improvement. And I can tell you that most of it, even the furniture spend has ticked up quite significantly. None of the categories that you could think of, even flooring has picked up. I'm talking 50% and more. And this is just from January to May when I looked at the data last. So significantly in all categories of home spending, even garden plants. Has trouser spending dropped? I don't know if you can go that specifically because people are having meetings now from the waist up. They're not going out very much. So we know they're not spending money on lipstick. Do we know Mm. about trousers? Well, clothing last year took a severe knock. It is definitely coming back. But I think what you're asking is, is, is quite relevant because what people are buying is different. So it's the trends that's changed within clothing. Mm. More casual, loungewear, people want to feel comfortable but look good, but don't necessarily want to go from morning to night in a suit, right? So they, they wear something that they can go out in, but still also comfortable to stay at home. This concept of loungewear, I've never <laughs> heard before. It's but like fancy pajamas. Fancy pajamas or casual tracksuit. It's kind yeah. of this wonderful <laughs> gap between. And, and that's where spending has gone. And we've seen uh, just a couple of the, uh, I do the Friday file on Cape Talk and 702 on a Friday night and we, we look for people with innovative ideas and the number of loungewear people we have found people sitting at home making lots of garments that are just super comfortable and are really good quality and look yeah. good online at the same time if you have to pop out for a bottle of milk it's okay just don't forget to change your slippers <laughs> into tackies <laughs> and, and you'll be okay um, And that, but this has been a huge huge shift I wonder how much of it is permanent um, I think it's probably more permanent than we think because I think people's home and work life is changing. So some of it, yeah, I think there's going to be a level out. We have to go back. People miss the interaction. But most people in the corporate industry I work with say, I don't want to go back to a nine to five job. I don't want to sit in office every day. I find myself being more productive, better with my time. But people miss social interaction. So I do think it's more permanent. And that is um, portrayed in everything we buy, in how we shop for clothes, even our cars. I mean, people are not spending on fuel like they used to. So um, even that is showing a downward trend. Mm. No, it's massively significant. I recall yeah. having a conversation actually with a, an APSA executive about 15 years ago whose name I've now forgotten. <laughs> um, but this guy, I just remember the sentiment he expressed and I was talking to him about his day and he said, oh no, I make sure I take my children to school and we get up at six in the morning and we drive to school. It takes an hour and it does this. I said, why do you do that? He says, because it's the only time I ever get to spend with my kids. And this is before I had children. <laughs> and, and I just found this as such a, a tragic statement of this guy who was would do anything just for that time in the car with those kids because by the time he got home at night the kids were in bed or in homework or grumpy or whatever the case is and he wasn't getting the best yeah. of them and suddenly our experience of life has fundamentally shifted as well we have either discovered we don't like our children at all or we've discovered that this is actually really a meaningful change that has been forced yeah. upon us and it's brilliant no it is and i think what it is is you know we we were on this rat race and people were chasing 
chasing, chasing, chasing. So everybody's speaking about the big reset button that was hit. And I think that's what happened. And balance will come back slightly, mm. but there's, there'll be a, hopefully a, a permanent new balance to lifestyles. The issue then is how does retailers adapt to that? Completely. And what opportunities do they see in this lifestyle change of the consumer? Because the one thing I realized is ultimately trends are driven by consumers and not by corporates or retailers. So they respond mm. and they've got to respond really quickly because so often you go, boy, how did that happen? Yeah. Geez, those guys had huge insight. They just responded quicker than their rivals perhaps. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and you speak about something like loungewear. I've seen so many South African small businesses coming up with very specific little loungewear mm. shops and you order it online and it's fairly simple for a small business logistically to have your stuff delivered within a day or two at your house. I send stuff from my house to my folks in Gauteng. They get it there the next day. Mm. I can, as an individual, very, very cost effective for a hundred bucks, send them whatever I want in a nice big box. So it's becoming a, a different way of life. And businesses, small businesses, are seeing this opportunity. They're adapting to it. It's really about the large corporates now. How are they going to build that into their market? models to also make it effective and adapt. It's so interesting. I mean, I want to talk about the delivery models because I think mm -hmm. that is the great big game changer. But so much of what's changing in domestic retail is where acquisitions are happening. And as we went into lockdown, of course, Edcon went bust um, and we saw the Fushini Group by Jet uh, and we saw Edgar's uh, going into a group in, in KZN mm -hmm. um, and things have shifted fundamentally. Big, big change. Uh, and then there'd be a couple of other their acquisitions since then. Mr. Price recently uh, bought Yuppie Chef and they bought a lower-end retail outlet called Power Fashion. Power Fashion. Mm -hmm. uh, what struck me about this was people always talk about economic recoveries mm -hmm. and they always talk about, you know, is it the V-shaped recovery or the W-shaped recovery or the U-shaped recovery or as Clem Sunter once said to me, it's going to be the bathtub-shaped recovery <laughs> where you go down and you bumble along and eventually one day something happens and you get a recovery. But I, I've been hearing more and more about the K-shaped recovery, uh, where you get um, the, the little line up top, you get the, you get a line on the one side, a little line recovery, and that's the upper end of the consumer spectrum. They recover quite nicely out of a crisis, and that's precisely what's happened in this crisis here. Average household wealth actually mm -hmm. went up 4%, according to the Reserve Bank last year. And then you've got the downward, the much bigger downward leg of the K, and that is people almost dropping out of middle income or middle class, if you like, mm -hmm. and that is having to serve those people the sort of the you save market perhaps mm -hmm. or the jumbo cash and carry market uh, and that's maybe where power fashion sits and so Mr. Price which sits so firmly in the middle market mm -hmm. has gone a little bit upstream and a little mm -hmm. bit downstream just to, to capture new markets. I think you're right. I think it's all about diversification. A lot of these retailers pre-COVID was very set in. This is who we are and this is the market we are looking and solving for. I think what's been happening is you look at the amount of corporate activity all around. Retailers aren't that sure anymore. Where do I play? Um, park the food retailers, which I think also are going a little bit more lower and upper. If you look at ShopRite with their Checkers um, X model now mm. in the upper market. But I think that the, the issue is that you have to diversify. You have to diversify within the, the LSM bands, but also within your, in your supply chain. I think diversification is going to happen and decide who's the customer I'm speaking to and what do they want. And in which parts of these areas in my business can I capitalize on the, the different 
LSMs. Mm. The issue in South Africa is we've always wanted a bigger middle income group. That was our aspiration, grow our middle income group. And for a long time, for a very long that time. worked. Yeah. And suddenly it doesn't work because two million people lost their jobs. Yeah. Half a million, 750,000 people have found some new employment yeah. since the, the huge sort of bloodletting of, mm. of the first, second quarter of last year. Uh, but there's still 1.2, 1.3 million more people unemployed today than were in January 2020. Mm. And that's terrifying. And now the grant funding is all but dried up. The extra mm. money, the COVID mm. money is dried up um, because National Treasury's cupboard is bare. Um, and so you wonder then how the retail sector responds to that particular crisis. Because if people have no money, then there is no money to spend. And where I see that is in the food and the grocery spend. Because everything else you look at, it's fairly okay. Tourism, education, they are still struggling. There's still negative growth. But the food has flattened out if you compare it to last year from a card spending perspective. I'm not talking cash. Mm. And what that tells me is that food, which is the biggest spent by far, more than 50% of people's income goes towards food and grocery spend. And if that flattens out, it tells you um, yeah, that maybe we are starting to see a less healthy consumer. However, personally, I think that it has been more resilient than I thought it would be. The top end is definitely doing well. And I think it's also because there's hopefully the debt hasn't been as big as we thought in the system. The bottom end has survived because of social grants, probably. I think a lot of people are making different plans with um, entrepreneurship, where to make money, how to get money. But definitely what you say, the middle income has dropped down and that's where the biggest strain and pain is being taken at the moment. And and it's so interesting to see how everybody is responding to that. I mean, you look at Richemont, for example, luxury goods. That share price, I've never seen it so high. The last time Mm -hmm. I looked, 170, 180. 80 rand a share is up 50%. And you would think to yourself, hold on a second, but this is luxury goods. This is expensive watches with unpronounceable brand names that are sold all over the world and used to be sold mostly, it seemed, in duty-free outlets at airports. But nobody's really flown that much. Somehow... Richemont and other luxury goods groups around the world have tapped into those super wealthy individuals who've become richer through this crisis um, and have managed to serve them and give them their Dunhills and their Patek Philippe's and their Cartier's and their Mont Blanc's and everything else. Um, and somehow that market still buying that stuff. Maybe that's the lipstick. It could be. It's also interesting because, I mean, in the, in the top end, there's a couple of winners in all of this. Something like games and gaming and electronics. I mean, big winners in this mm-hmm. uh, COVID era. Everybody wanted to have access from home. Even the middle income groups had to get access to be able to continue their work. So there was clear winners and losers in this whole pandemic. And yeah, I think some of the winners are still spending a lot of money. No, absolutely. And we're seeing it come through very, very strongly. Still to come in this EPSA Insights podcast. I like what I saw with clicks specifically and pick and pay. How do we drive partnerships? If Clix is the guys that are doing well in the healthcare, they know how to run pharmacies. They've done that very successfully. Pick and pay goes, thank you. Take exactly. our take our pharmacies. But, yeah. but Clix doesn't want to sell groceries or food. They have a little on the shelves for the people that come in there. But ultimately, what a great partnership. APSA Insights. Talk to me about delivery, because what we've seen in South Africa is, from a low base, exponential growth. Um, So we're still relatively small in terms of global online spend. 
But it has changed. People who would never have dreamt of going onto a Take-A-Lot or onto any other website or you know, pay money for something to be delivered have done so. And they've discovered, actually, it's quite easy. Actually, it's quite convenient. Actually, they arrive roughly when they say they're going to arrive. And if I don't like it, I can put it back in a box. They'll come and collect and take it away. It works. Um, certainly at the larger end. How has that landscape shifted? Yeah, I think we have more potential to make money out of the online shopping experience. Um, you look at something like general merchandise. Take a lot is the only guys that you can actually go and buy general merchandise um, with and that has it delivered next day. Where's the mass marts? Where's the guys that can deliver your fridges and stoves and kettles? And there's a whole market there that we'd be potentially missing out on. And I don't think I think it's so much the fact that that market won't or doesn't shop online. I think it's more about the last mile delivery that hasn't been solved for. That whole thing about how do I get my goods into all these other areas that's not the urban metros. Mm. So I think retailers need to start thinking more cleverly around that specifically. There's still a lot of room for improvement in the logistics space, even in the urban areas. I don't know when last you tried to order something from Woolworths online, but you still have to wait a couple of days to get your goods um, delivered. So there's, there's a lot of potential for retailers to capitalize on online. Pick and Pay have been quite intentional about their plans. I mean, they went and bought a business called Bottles. They had yeah. been in a partnership with Bottles, which initially had started out as a booze delivery service. And then suddenly, actually, we need to deliver everything. So they mm-hmm. went from partnership to ownership and they bought Bottles. And I'm not sure how it's working out, but I don't hear any complaints. No, I believe it's doing very well. The same uh, with 6060. I don't know if you've used that, but it's yeah. it, it's phenomenal. You, you actually stuck in a meeting. You realize I don't have milk in the house. I don't have eggs in the house. You order it within uh, 60 minutes, your your goods arrive. So that's the kind of models I think that we need to work on. But even just having next day delivery models from our retailers themselves, mm. I saw that MassMod actually now came out and said they are building and, and trying to expand in that space. Now, that's such an interesting prospect because uh, Take A Lot dominates that space. They brought Mr. D in to try and get their delivery sorted out. But I've, I've looked at um, the guy who does my deliveries, a different person every time, and it's not in a zhuzhi, uh, <laughs> corporatized van. They are hustling, and they are getting anybody who's got a vehicle that may not quite crack the Uber <laughs> standard yeah. to pack the back seat full of boxes and to deliver those boxes. It's not pretty, but it's functional. Uh-huh. What is MassMart planning to do with Macro and with Game to stand up? Because, of course, if anybody doesn't know, MassMart is owned by Walmart, who seem to be getting this right in the U.S. Well, if you look at what they're saying in the press is that they are going to build that model or m- maybe not build it, but then they potentially have to buy something, right? Because mm-hmm. it's about getting that last mile del- delivery sorted. The thing about them is they definitely have scale and it's how they utilize that scale. And like you say, they have the experience of Walmart. It's for me is going to be the struggle is, is again in the, into the non-urban areas. How do you deliver into those areas? Because it's very hard to say to one customer, yes, I'm happy to deliver to you, but I'm not happy to deliver to you, yeah. if, you if you stay there or there or there. So how are you going to sort that delivery? That's what's going to be very interesting. Because they tried a couple of years ago lockers at, I think, engine mm. or Sassel, Sassel petrol stations. And I never really saw anybody go and open one of those lockers and take anything out. I'm not sure that that was a massively successful thing. But the point is people 
people are trying and they, they're failing forward, if you like, in terms of finding models that work because we're not America, we're not the UK, we're not Europe, um, we're South Africa and the, the environments are fundamentally different, whether it be rural or urban. Payment mechanisms have also evolved wonderfully. Mm. It's become so much easier to pay and to settle the payments and everybody's had to up their game on, on that particular front as well because that, that reliability of the transaction is so important. And you've got to understand that money and collection of money is a huge thing for our retailers. What they pay to collect the money is, is a big part of their cost outlay. So they pay for the card acquiring fees. They pay for the cash deposit fees, the cash in transit fees. So solving that part is going to be tremendous. Added on top of that, with COVID, people don't want to touch things, right? So money is dirty. Money carries germs. So money is costly. How do we move away from physical cash? And even if we develop the mechanisms and the technology to do that, how do we change the consumer's behavior to use that? Because that is, again, the point that I'm making. You can have an online delivery method. Until the consumer sees the need and uses it, it's not a trend. I see huge opportunity. It is so, it's in such an exciting space where, yes, trials and tribulations and dislocations and problems but my word, it changes the dynamics of our interactions with our retailers, our retailers' interactions with us, um, and the financial sector's interactions with both. Uh, and it just strikes me as an, an opportunity set and a growth opportunity as well. And a little bit of a fire, I think, under people's butts. Because Finally. all of a sudden, you have to solve for these things. We, we knew these problems existed. We knew all of these issues were there. But all of a sudden, it's now there's added pressure. How do we solve for it? And exactly what you say, it's exciting. There's opportunity in that. And there's a, there's a collective need to drive change because we all need it. And the biggest change we need is more jobs. We need more jobs. So how do we as corporates, as banks, as people in the streets support industries to drive local, buying, buying local and paying with something not cash? The only way is to change the consumer's behavior. And how do you do that? I only think one way, and that's by incentivizing them. Yeah. Somehow you have to put money back in their pocket. And then their behavior will change. Uh, make it easy and make it mm. reliable. Easy. Uh, entirely dependable. Mm. If you say you're going to be there in 60 minutes, be there <laughs> in 60 minutes. Because people are building their lives around you. They're, they're, they're creating a framework. They're creating an understanding. Stick to your promise. Make a promise. Stick to your promise. Deliver on your promise. And it, it, it should be progress. Is this progress? Yeah, I think we are <laughs> moving in the right direction. I'd like to say uh, glass half full. But people are thinking differently. And to change things, you have to ask the right questions and start thinking differently about how we solve for these things. And I know our government is full of problems, but it would be great if government and corporate take hands and say, well, let's drive the positive change we need. And that would create jobs. If mm. people buy local, we can manufacture more, create but, but, jobs. But retail, it, it, it's this really sluggish evolution. And we've kind of had a step change mm. in the evolutionary process. But unlike Cortez, I think it was, who was one of the early conquistadors who arrived in, in South America, and his sailors said to him, okay, well, if this doesn't work out, we can just go 
home. And he went, no, no, no. He burnt the ships. Retail isn't ready to burn the ships. In other words, get rid of the physical retail and go purely online. We're always going to have the sort of hybrid model. And hopefully what happens is the online environment, the online component grows along with the physical retail. I mean, South Africa is a growth economy, needs to grow. And we don't sort of fall back to culling online because our entertainment is going to the shops again. Hopefully we never have to go back there. <laughs> it will always be an omni-channel experience. You know, I don't think physical stores are going to go away at all. It's, I think, complementary to each other. It's about holistic shopping experience, about end-to-end shopping experience, whether I transact with a retailer on a digital platform or whether I walk into the store. I want a similar experience, whether I buy it online and then go and execute it, or my eyes buy it online, but execute it in a store. You know, I want that experience, that follow-through. I want to know I'm dealing with a trustworthy corporate. I wouldn't want to know I get the same level of service and efficiency. So it's the omni-channel experience, but it also, it does give retailers the opportunity to relook their models in terms of physical locations, warehousing, logistics, and how do you drive efficiencies. And I like what I saw with Clicks specifically and Pick and Pay. How do we drive partnerships? If Clicks is the guys that are doing well in the healthcare, they know how to run pharmacies. They've done that very successfully. Pick and Pay goes, thank you. Take exactly. our take our pharmacies. But, yeah. but Clicks doesn't want to sell groceries or food. They have a little on their shelves for the people that come in there. But ultimately, what a great partnership. What a mm. great strength to leverage each other. Pick and Pay get more customers in their store coming to the pharmacy and walking through their aisles. And Clicks is a destination point. You know, when you have a pharmacy, it's a destination point. So they attract people in different locations now where they didn't previously have presence. So things like those win-win models, I think, is going to become very essential for all retail. Isana Kodia, thank you very much indeed for sharing your insights with us here on EPSA Insights. Thank you, Bruce. Expert advice and data-driven insights that unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights, matching foresight with sustainable possibilities. Brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. For more, visit apsainsights.co.za.